You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Uh, I want to start with a confession. It's good to confess before one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. My confession is this. Uh, I envy deeply the accent of our skit reader, Jeremy. (laughs) I am quite confident this would be a (laughs) Sully Russell. I'm sure I can... I'm pretty sure every sermon of mine would be better if Jeremy just stood up and read it. (laughs) However, we have what we have. We pray and we move on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so very, very much for your goodness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ and again for speaking of him to us in your word. Thank you for the things you've been teaching us all this week. We pray, our Father, tonight, please show us how we might enjoy you more while we wait for the Lord Jesus' return. We pray this uh, for the honour and glory of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Uh, Hurricane Katrina was one of the worst natural... (laughs) It's just the dystopian hurricane vibe. We were setting it up before the start of the night. Hurricane Katrina was one of the worst natural disasters uh, in modern US history. Uh, In August 2005, winds of up to 280 kilometres an hour and a storm surge of nine metres that came in across the ocean uh, caused flooding and evacuations across much of the southeast coast of America. Uh, Almost 2,000 people died. Property damage was estimated at $125 billion dollars. At the time, uh, U.S. President George W. Bush was on holidays in his 1,600-acre Texas ranch. Uh, He was having a break from the stress of office. And so his advisors decided not to bother him. Until, that is, the devastation became clear. And three days after Hurricane Katrina reached its peak, Bush decided to act. And so from his ranch, he flew to his Oval Office on a flight path that flew directly over the devastation. And as he looked out of his plane, 30,000 feet up, his advisors, he says prayerfully, allowed this photo to be taken. A photo that soon became infamous and a public relations disaster. Why? Because that photo captured what many Americans already thought of Bush at the time. He was a distant, detached president. Uncaring, uninvolved, out of reach, out of touch. Now, it just might be that as his photo was taken, that Bush himself was brokenhearted. That he longed to be there, longed to help. But the simple fact was he wasn't. And he hadn't. He was a president who was up there in the sky instead of down here 
where they needed him most. And the reason I share that story is, do you ever get the feeling it's a bit like that with God? That he's up there and you're down here. That he seems so far away when you desperately need him close. Don't get me wrong, we heard those first two talks. Made and saved to be with God. God himself has made a way. But when it comes to real life down here, or better yet, in fact, real life away from here, back with your family, back with your friends, back on the campus where you're not in the majority, do you ever get the feeling that your daily actual experience of God is more like that than you'd like it to be? And if you do, or perhaps better when you do, uh, the question is, can you hope for more? For more than a God 30,000 feet up? More than a God who seems distant, detached? Can you know God more and enjoy God more than you do right now? I want to say the Bible says yes. Yes, you can. Paul will pray for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better and enjoy him more. Even while we wait for the best that's yet to come. You see, as we'll explore some more in tomorrow's talk, the Bible expects there to be a tension in what we experience now. While you wait for Jesus' return. While you wait for the best to come. A tension between what God has done and what you experience now. A tension even between who you are and the way you live your daily life in him. Now, we'll talk about that some more tomorrow. But for tonight, what I hope you'll see is that even while we wait, even while we live within that tension, we can have more. More than a God 30,000 feet up. More than a God who is distant, detached. We can know God and enjoy God more than we do right now. And the question is, how? And the answer is, on your outlines, first, by responding to him. And by knowing deep in our hearts that our enjoyment of him begins with him and not with what we do. You see, this is really, really important. Unlike every other religion in the world, Christianity always begins with God. It is, as its heart, a, a responsive religion. Let's see if you get a little uh, congregational participation here. Imagine for a moment you're driving your car. And you turn on the radio and you hear applause. Can we do applause all this section? Can you hear applause? Or, or you turn on your radio and you hear raucous laughter. <laughs> What's the first thing you immediately think? You think, uh, what did I miss? What did what I miss? <laughs> that had a limited effect, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> Why do you do that? It's because applause always comes after. Laughter always comes after. After something else, he responds to something else. And you see, that's what it's always like with us and God. 
as we saw on Tuesday, it's always him before it's us. It's never earned, it's always grace. And so we think of verses like 1 John 4. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Or Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you've been saved, through faith. This not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so no one can boast. Or as one of your own prophets has said, Melba from Monash, on Wednesday morning's prayer and praise meeting. (laughs) We can be with God because he first came to be with us. I'd love that line on Wednesday morning. And so there it is, much to Melba's dismay. (laughs) But see, that's where enjoyment of God begins. And it really does. By knowing that, responding to that. You know, since Tuesday night's talk, I think almost every second conversation I've had since has begun with the words, but. But what about when I let him down? But what about when I do wrong? But what about when I fail again? Surely I can't be 10 out of 10. And I want to say that makes a lot of sense. After all, that's how everything else always works. Whether with your parent or boyfriend or employer or team, if you want to be accepted, you've got to be acceptable. If you want to be loved, then you've got to be lovable. See, I suppose if we were to draw this, we'd draw it, he prays again, something like this. Next slide, if it's there. Where your performance determines your place. And so sometimes you're in, sometimes you're out. And it all depends on you. But you see, as we saw on Tuesday night, it's not like that with God. Even as your performance goes up and down, or how you feel goes up and down, you're always above the line. Completely accepted by Him. See, I want to say it's in knowing that. And the freedom that brings and the relief that brings, and the assurance that gives, that enjoying God begins. And so let me ask you, do you believe it? If you trust in him, do you believe him when he says these things to you? How do you enjoy God? First, by responding to him. And second, by responding to him. It's not a typo. It's all about the emphasis. It's got to wait a little while for the Monash students. It's okay. Sorry, 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 sorry. We gave you the soccer. Please give us that. Okay. (laughs) By responding to him. Sorry, let's move on. We're being serious. Here we go. That is to the one and only God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. See, I can't help but wonder whether one of the reasons we fail to enjoy God like we should is because we bought the lie of the world. 
that God can only be known in general rather than in person. As though God's an idea or a thought or a force or, or something else in general out there. But who is the God we meet in his word? He's not something in general. No, he's someone in person. Or more to the point, you've been learning all week, in persons. As you've seen in your seminar, as the father who loves and the son who he gave and the spirit who shares them both with us. In his really brilliant book, Enjoying God, there's still some left on the bookstore, uh, Tim Chester writes, your relationship with God will be deepened and enriched if you know your God like this, as he really truly is. I want to say he's right. Uh, over the last few months in getting ready for this, this is what I've been trying to do. Instead of just praying to God in general, as if an in-general God is all I really know, I've been thinking and praying deliberately to God in person, if you like. To the Father who loves. To the Son who he gave. And even sometimes, I'm a little bit nervous about this, to the Spirit who shares them both with us. And I'll tell you, I found it so helpful in my enjoyment of God. In John 16, Jesus says to his disciples, The Father himself loves you because you have loved me. I believe that I came from God. See, no matter your experience of your own earthly father, whether helpful or hurtful or horrible, if you are in Christ, you have a father who loves. A father who, according to Zephaniah 3, takes great delight in you who rejoices over you with singing. I like this much younger version of me with a very much younger version of my now mid-teenage baby girl rejoicing over her with singing. Now, at the time, I should confess, I didn't know any of the nursery rhymes yet, so she's actually getting 90s grunge rock, but (laughs) (laughs) she seems happy enough and... And the point you see is the same. That's you. And that's God. The Father who loves. And so much so that he gave you his son. Even as he gave you to him. One author put it this way in a harder but brilliant bookstore on the bookstore. Uh, in all the riches of grace that come to us by faith... He, Jesus, is the greatest treasure. He is the indescribable gift of 2 Corinthians 9. He is our revealer and redeemer and hero and friend. Our ruler and champion and saviour and king. And when you have him, you have the lot. It reminds me of a famous story. Art collector Baron Fitzgerald, he gets wheeled out by various preachers, so let's wheel out again. Um, The story goes that Baron Fitzgerald died. I think it was a true story, actually. And so all of his extensive art collection was put to auction. 
Uh, people came from far and wide, and as the bidding opens, the first instruction of the will's read. What did it say? It said, the painting of the sun must be auctioned first. And so they kind of bring out the painting, but it's not as good as the others. And so nobody bids. Everyone's waiting. Except that is for the master's old servant. He kind of puts up his hand. I have no idea if this is how he did it, but he puts up his hand. <laughs> and he buys the painting of the sun. And once it's sold, the second instruction of the will's read. Do you know what it said? Whoever gets the sun gets the lot. Whoever gets the sun gets the lot bidding closed. You see, that's what it's like with God's precious son. To have this son is to have the lot. How do you? Have the son and the father as well? It's through the Spirit who shares them with us. As you may have already seen today in your seminars, as Jesus prepares to leave his disciples, he promises another to come. In John chapter 14, and I will ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. In other words, when I leave, the Spirit will come. I'll be gone, but he'll be here. And then what does Jesus say in the very next verse? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And we think to ourselves, well, which is it, Jesus? Is it the Spirit who will come or you? Is it you who will come or the Spirit? And of course, that's the point. To have the spirits to have the Son. To have the spirits to have the Father. That's what the Spirit does. He shares them both with us. As he lives in us, so too do they. You see, the more you know your God like this, and the more you respond to your God like this, not just in general, but in persons, the more you will enjoy him. And so let me ask you, do you? Do you think of God like this? Do you pray to God like this? Do you know your God as Father and Spirit and Son? But still I hear you ask, how? I'm sorry. But still I hear you ask, how? It's Thursday night, you've got to do this sort of thing. Um, <laughs> The answer is, as he reveals himself in his word and through his word. See, I wonder if I was to ask you, what is the Bible for? What would you say? In fact, 20 seconds, turn to the person next to you. Just first thoughts. What is the Bible for? Your time starts now. Person next to you, what is the Bible for? Okay, time's up. Well, I wonder what you said. Um, not enough for you to shout it out. Please don't get me wrong. Tell me later. But I wonder what you said. Uh, what is the Bible for? Uh, is it a historical record of God? You know, and the things he did and said. Is it a, a book of instruction and guidance on how to live for him? Is it a book of information? 
to, to tell us more of him? I want to say to all those things, you'd have to say yes. But here's the thing. It's also more. Even more than any of those. More than it's historical or instructional or even informational, the Bible is a relational book. And right at the heart of God's purpose in it, from his love, for his glory, as it centers on Christ, is to create and deepen our relationship with him. And I wonder if you heard it in that wonderful reading from Psalm 119. Do you want to get that open in front of you? Psalm 119 and verse 9. I'll give you a moment. Psalm 119, the reading was from verse 9. Once you've got it open, I just want you to skim your eyes down at least that first stanza, more if you're a quick skimmer, and see how the author speaks. How he speaks about God, how he speaks about his word. In particular, how personal and relational is God's word to him. You see it there, verse 9, it's your word. Verse 10, your commands. Verse 11, your word. That, that verse 13, come from your mouth. See, the Bible is God's personal word, spoken by him, spoken to you. And it's in hearing that word that you get to enjoy him. You see, that's what the psalmist does. Did you see it? As he seeks and rejoices and meditates and delights and reads and reflects and remembers, recounts, as he takes God's word into his heart and then speaks God's word out of his heart, he enjoys his God. As one author put it, I think, really, really well, in the hearing of the Lord's words, believers experience the joy of personal fellowship with the Lord himself. So I ask again, do you believe that? And if you do, do you do do that? Do you enjoy your God in his word? And do you enjoy your God through his word? Famous Christian thinker John Calvin once described the Bible as like a great pair of spectacles. Pretty certain that wasn't what he was thinking, but great pair of spectacles. As the lens through which we see everything else. See, here's the thing. The more you do that, the more you know God in his word, and then look at the world through that word, you know, as you remember him and remember what he's taught, the more you will enjoy your God. When you look at the world and all is well, when you're out like Nathan looking at the stars, and life is great, and... You remember things like James chapter 1 and 1 Timothy 6. That every gift comes from him. All of them given for your enjoyment. And you'll thank him. Better yet, you'll praise him. And you'll enjoy your God. Or when things are bad. Things are sad. As they so often are in our broken world. 
You remember that, Romans 8, in all things God does work for the good of those who love him. Well, that really fascinating passage we heard from Hebrews 12, verse 5, that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And you'll know that even in the hardest of times, that is not a sign you're outside of his love. But remarkably, in his love, he's using those hardest times for your good, forming you, growing you, like the very best fathers do. And I'll tell you, I had a chance to experience this. Getting ready for this, I was preparing for this talk, thinking of this, enjoying God in good times and bad. I went away for a weekend with my parents and siblings and their kids. We do it once a year. It's the Great Sorensen Reunion. Nobody calls it that, but it's the Great Sorensen Reunion. And this year was especially special because it was my dad's 70th birthday. So we went off to enjoy our time together. Anyway, do you know what happened in that particularly precious weekend? My car broke down really badly. Somehow a bolt had come loose, punctured the radiator, and there I was on the side of the road. Family reunion, thinking of this, enjoying God. Last, a tow truck came, took us to the mechanics, which of course, being a Sunday, was securely locked and closed. And I stood outside, awaiting my lift, thinking of this, enjoying God. As I did, along with my wife, the phone rang and I picked it up and here's what it said. Hey Pete, bad news I'm afraid. Your little Izzy has broken her arm very badly. And I hung up the phone and said a quick prayer and thought of this, enjoying God. And so, of course, we wrote home and put her in the car and took her to the hospital. And after two separate attempts and two separate hospitals over two consecutive days, they finally got her arm right. And as they did, I was thinking of this, enjoying God. And do you know what happened? We did. We saw our world through God's word. We prayed to our God with our easy in pain. And we remembered those verses we just looked at today. And the Father who loves, and the Son who he gave, and the Spirit who shares them both with us, turned for us what would have otherwise seemed a painful, frustrating waste of time into a painful, at points frustrating, purposeful enjoyment of him. Even for my little Izzy, who I think there is trying to do her very best thumbs up with an arm that no longer does thumbs up like it used to. <laughs> How do you enjoy God? You respond to him. And you respond to him as he reveals himself in and through his word. And finally, you do it deliberately, prayerfully with your head and heart and hands. Great Christian author Don Carson's famously quoted, People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. It requires deliberate, prayerful effort. As Paul says in Philippians, do you remember? Therefore, my dear friends, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act. Now, notice, won't you? It's really important. It's not work for your salvation. 
That's not how it's done. We saw that on Tuesday. But having already been saved, and with God's help there, see the end of the verse, work out, Paul says, your new saved life. Live out, Paul says, your new saved life. It's a little bit like a subscription to Netflix. Okay, stay with me. It, it, it does get there in the end. Um, imagine for a moment, a friend buys for your subscription to Netflix. Is it yours? Yes. Did you earn it? No. Just like your salvation was free, bought at the cost of another. It, it, it goes on, it gets you. But for you to enjoy it, you have to turn it on. Uh, you have to be deliberate. And actually, it is a bit like that with God, a bit. For us to enjoy the God who reveals himself in and through his word, we need to deliberately, prayerfully open that word. And not just open, read. And not just read, reflect. And not just reflect, but deliberately, prayerfully remember as we look at our life and look at his world. I think some of the very best advice I was ever given in reading the Bible, apart from Nike's, you know, just do it, um, was for every single minute you read, reflect again for two. If you read for one minute, reflect for two. You read for two minutes, reflect for four. Why? Because this is a relational book. It's meant to be dwelt in and rejoiced in. And taken to mind and heart. I know others whose practice it is to just read the same passage every day for a week. Why? So they can dwell in it. Take it to heart. It was just like that psalm, do you remember? That I meditate on your precepts. I delight in your decrees. It's a little bit like, can you imagine, Dan Kong. Dan, Dan will be here. Dan, give us a wave, Dan, at the back. It's a little bit like Dan Kong. It's a bit like Dan Kong when he gets home tomorrow and he walks in and he sees Jesse's wife. And she comes to him. And she starts telling him all the things he's missed and all the things the kids have done. And what does Dan say? He says something like, I'm sorry, Jess, let me stop you there. Can you just give it to me in the bullet points? I've got some things to do. I want to suggest that probably wouldn't go well. Just no, 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 it wouldn't, no, it wouldn't go well. But here's the thing. Why do we expect it to be any different or better with God? If all we do is that, if we want to enjoy our God, who wants to be enjoyed in and through his word, we need to listen. We need to dwell. We need to listen as he speaks. And we can help each other do it. A famous German Christian Dietrich Bonhoeffer is often quoted, and maybe this has actually already been your experience, even I suspect at this summit. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to them. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother or sister. And so a deliberate, prayerful effort in an effort to enjoy him and help each other do the same. We read, we remember, and we speak his word. 
and we sing his praise and we, and we gather together and we fight our sin and we take risks in serving him in our generosity, in our evangelism and we take rest whether we went to Stu's workshop or not and we, and we speak to him and not just like a genie we rub, you know, three wishes please, what do I want today? But instead, simply to enjoy him and thank him and praise him, we speak to him. One of the ways I've been trying to do that lately as my own application in preparing these talks is to make it my habit to turn off the radio when I'm driving in the car alone. And then just to speak to the Father and the Son and the Spirit about you know, whatever I'm thinking and feeling. With my, with my eyes open. <laughs> Some days all I've been trying to do is just list as many things as I can think of to thank and praise him for. I want to say it's had an enormous effect on my enjoyment of him and recognizing he's near. And, and maybe you can think of more and better ideas and be a great idea to share them after our session tonight. But for now, what I'd love you to do is just take 30 seconds with your outlines, if you've got them there handy, a pen if you've got it handy, otherwise you're going to have to write it in your mind, and just write down at least one action you could take or one habit you could start to prayerfully, deliberately enjoy our wonderful God. I'll give you just a moment of reflection now and a chance to write something down if you'd like. really do encourage you to be great after this session if you could share with one another what you wrote. That's not a hard conversation to start. And to keep learning from each other how we can enjoy our wonderful God. But as we wrap it up, in 2005, 30,000 feet up, whether he meant it or not, George Bush... <laughs> it's a Thursday thing. Uh, George Bush really was up there while his people were down here. He really was, for that moment at least, out of reach and out of touch. But one of the wonderful things about the Christian message is it never need be that way for us and our wonderful God. The Father who loves, the Son who he gave, the Spirit who shares them with us are all ours to enjoy more than we do right now. And the question is, will we? While we wait for the best that's yet to come, more about that tomorrow, Will we now enjoy our God by deliberately, prayerfully responding to him as he reveals himself to us? Let's pray that we would. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.